You know, this series, as Phil mentioned, we, uh, we're looking at different people's skills. And as we look at the life of Jesus, we're going to discover, if, as we become more and more like him, that we're, we're going to pick up these characteristics and we're going to pick up these traits that really help us to relate to other people in a, in a better and more healthy way. Because nobody related better to people than, than Jesus uh, did and, and does. And so this is kind of the third week of this series, and uh, I hope that, that you're getting some practical things. That's kind of been my goal. It's like, what can we find from Scripture that's really practical and helps us, you know, kind of just giving us some things to think on. And as we're talking through relationships that you have, you really just can't avoid the fact that there are people in our life that are just difficult, and they're, they can be a little problematic and cause us, you know, we get a little gray hair going because of some of these people. I, I call them, I, I got a term that I use, maybe you've heard this, I don't know. I, I don't know who started it, but I, I, I call people EGRs, that they're extra grace required people. And there's just some people, I'm not going to point any fingers, of course, but there's just some people that just, you, you think, man, that, that, that person, I, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to have a little bit more grace with them. I'm going to have to, you know, try a little bit harder because this is going to take a little bit more effort. I heard another pastor call them uh, VDPs, very draining people, just like a shop vac, just, you know, just sucking the life right out of you. And there's just some people, Debbie Downers, you know, whatever, whatever term that you want to use, there are people like that. And uh, your, your energy level decreases, your, your passion and zest for life kind of goes down. They, they don't really... They don't really help your, your knowledge base go up unless it's your knowledge base about why everything stinks and everyone is terrible and the world is so wrong. And Jesus had a lot of people like that in his life. He had a lot of EGRs. Probably the one that we, you know, at least if you're, my mind goes immediately to Judas. I'm thinking there's somebody that uh, probably started out okay. I mean, for him to be following Jesus had to have been, but at some point along the way, I mean, things just went south, obviously, and this is somebody's really, really draining. But, uh, but there was a, a big group of people that were extra grace required in Jesus' life, and they were called the religious people. They were the ones that were supposed to know the right answers to the questions. You know, they were the ones that were supposed to be living life, you know, the right way and, and surrender to God and all those things. But they were always looking for something that he was doing wrong. They were just waiting around the corner. In the book of Luke chapter 11, it says uh, one time, it says, As Jesus was leaving, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees became hostile. And they tried to provoke him with many questions, just firing questions off at him. And they wanted to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. So they're just saying, you know, just waiting, trying to ask these kind of these probing questions to say, ha we got you, you said that, and, and we know what that means, and so now you're sunk, you know, maybe, maybe you felt like you've had somebody in your life like that, that just was waiting for the opportunity to just jump and, and say, now, see, nah, you're not as good as you think you are, you're not as good as, you know, some people think you are, or whatever, they're just trying to twist your words and use them against you, it's tough. But people can be... EGR is on the opposite end of the spectrum, too. I mean, it's not just like, it's not just that negative way, but, you know, who's got something, don't raise your hand for this, but who's got somebody in your life that no matter what you do, if you're telling a story of, you know, some great experience you just had, they're always trying to one-up you. 
It's like we just went on vacation. You're like, oh, my goodness, we just got back from this place, and we had this great time. Like, oh, I- I've been there, too, and we had a better time than you, and we stayed at a better place, and we stayed longer, and da 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 And you're like, these people are just, they just wear you out. Like, why? Why do I have to be surrounded by all these difficult people? And, and how do you deal with manipulative and controlling people? Well, let's just start by kind of an understanding of what what are some of the tools of manipulators? What are their greatest weapons? If you're jotting down notes on your phone or or, or writing anything down, maybe here's a couple things that you might want to come back to. The manipulator's greatest weapons, number one, are threats. So think if you've ever heard something like this. Maybe in the workplace, it might be like, hey, if you want to work here, then you'll do this. Or in relationships, it's, if you don't do this, then, then I, I'm going to leave you. Or if you don't tell me right now, I'm hanging up the phone. Uh, if you don't pay more attention to me, I'm writing you out of my will. <laughs> uh, maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe in your marriage, I, I don't want to, man, now I'm, now I'm really getting into the weeds here. But, but uh, you know, if you've got a spouse that says, now, if you don't do this, you're not getting any of that. We won't get into what, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's dessert, you know, I don't know. But what, you're not, you're not, you know, just, we're going to leave it there. Threats, threats are, are a weapon. But here's another one, is guilt. Maybe it sounds like this. If you love me, then you would do what I ask. Uh, you know, after all I've done for you and you won't do this one thing for me, I, I, how could you do that? Or my favorite one, this is, this is one of my personal favorites, is the silent treatment. I'm not talking to you. Great. <laughs> so supposed to be a punishment? I don't get that. <laughs> or, you know, I thought we were close, but obviously I don't mean that much to you. Here's, there's, this, is a, this is a great one here. This spiritual manipulation. I thought you were a better Christian than that. Why aren't you at church eight days a week? Come on, man. I thought you'd love Jesus. You know, if you really, if you really did, then you would do this. And a really nasty one. I've heard this. Not in, not in my own marriage, thank God. But I've heard spouses use this on each other. If you don't meet my needs, then I'll go get them met somewhere else. That's nasty. Guilt and threats. How the question that we want to answer today biblically is we look at the life of Jesus and we are developing our own people skills and trying to, trying to you know, navigate through these difficult relationships. The question we want to answer is how do we break the power of manipulation? And this is what I want to know. You say, okay, what are we talking about today? If the Bible tells us that God has the very hairs on our head numbered, he sees when a sparrow falls to the ground, surely he cares about our relationships. I know that God cares about how we relate with one another and what that feels like and what that looks like. And I believe when we look at Jesus, we get a great glimpse of how we can do this. I think he gives us a really great example of how we break the power of manipulation in a healthy way and in a a God-honoring way. Because one thing that I know is that God, it is not his intention for us to be used and abused by people in relationships. 
You know, I, I know that Scripture says, and Jesus said, that in this world you'll have trouble. It, it will happen. And you might be persecuted. You may face some of that trouble and trial from sinful people. But I, I know that it is not his desire or his will or his intention that you would be used or abused by someone else in a, in a relationship. That's why I love the scripture in 1 Corinthians 13. It gives us a wonderful picture of what love should look like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not self-seeking. It's, it's patient. Love never fails. So how do we do this? I, I, I know that Jesus cares about our relationships in places like John 10, verse 10, where he says that a thief is only there to steal, kill, and destroy. That's, that's all a thief does. He wants to break in and rob and, and destroy everything. But he said, I came so that you can have real and eternal life. Now, more and better life than you ever dreamed of. It's my desire. He says, this is my will for you, is that you would know me, that we'd walk in relationship, and that you'll have real life, and, and it's going to be great, and this is the thing that we cannot miss today. And, and as, we, as, we, as we ease into this subject, I just want you to know that no one is beyond grace. It is not my it is not my plan and it is not my goal today to try to, you know, destroy people that kind of, you know, kind of manipulate or whatever. That's not what I'm trying to do. No one is beyond restoration. So you may be a crazy difficult person and you know it. Or you may be a crazy difficult person and everybody else knows it. And you just haven't, the light bulb hasn't come on just quite yet. But either way, the best news for you. And the best news for the people in our life that make our, our shoulders slump a little bit when we're around them is that that person is a valuable and dearly loved child of God and that he is in the business of restoring. He desperately wants a real relationship with that person just as much as he does with any of us. So the things that we're talking about today, uh, it's not my intention to, to sound condemning. Uh, but, uh, but hopefully it will help us as we do the best job that we can to point people back to Jesus and also have healthy boundaries ourselves so that we can have the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live. And when, when I think about some of the people in the New Testament that were difficult, you know, obviously there's the Pharisees, obviously there's the religious leaders, but I, would you ever think that some of the most difficult people in Jesus' life were his disciples. I think they were. I think we get glimpses of that in Scripture. We, and you, almost, you almost see Jesus kind of just get a little bit exasperated at times and say, guys, come on. Like, how many times do I have to say these things? How many times? When, when are you going to get this? You, you just don't seem to be on the same page, and you see his frustration. And one of the worst offenders, I, I think, one of the worst, one of, the, one of the, most, the biggest EGRs of the disciples was Peter. And, and, I, and, I, and I say that lovingly because I love Peter. And I, I actually, of all the disciples, I think I identify more with him than any of the other guys. Because I feel like I could be a, a Peter, kind of tear off, like half-cocked, kind of sort of know what I'm doing, but really off in the wrong direction here. Somebody's got to rein me back and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Come, come back here just a little bit. And I'm like, I was just excited, guys. I just wanted to go do something. You know, it sounded cool. And I th that's Peter, you know. And, and this is why I say that we're, nev we're never beyond grace. 
is because Peter blew it in fantastic ways. He, he found these new and creative ways to just really fail. And yet God used him in spectacular ways. Jesus forgives him for when he denies him. He restores him and, and really built the, the church upon Peter. Jesus said, on, you, you're Peter on this rock. I'm going to build my church. So let's not write people off, but the best that we can with love and grace, let's point people back to Jesus. But at the same time, be willing to, to take a stand. And not allow yourself to be mistreated. And we see a great example in Matthew chapter 16. Where Jesus realized that Peter was trying to control him. And just look at this, look at this story. It's in verse 21. It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. In other words, I can't make this any more clear, guys. This is what I came to do. This is my mission. This is who I am, and this is what I'm here to do. He says, it is necessary to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law, and that he would be killed. But on the third day, that he would be raised from the dead. Verse 22, it says, but Peter, but Peter took him aside. We go to the next verse. There, oh, there it is at the bottom. But Peter took him aside. And began to reprimand him and for saying such things. And he said, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. There's a couple of things I really want to point out there. The first thing we've got to do if we're going to, you know, in this area with our people skills and, okay, having healthy boundaries and having healthy relationships is that we have to recognize when someone's trying to manipulate us. You've got to recognize when someone is trying to control you. Do you notice what Peter did there? When Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen. This is, uh, do we have the next point up there? Should be a point. There it is, yeah. Recognize when someone's trying to control you. Peter takes Jesus aside. He, he, he gets him away from the group, gets him away from the crowd. And without throwing Peter under the bus too much, one thing that many controllers do is they try to isolate a person. Because then if I isolate you, then I can have more power. If you leave them in a group, it's harder to exert power over them. But if you take them off to the side, then you got a little bit more control there. Hey, I just I got a few things that there's a few things I want to talk to you about. I just, oh, I hope you don't mind. But if you could come over here away from all everybody else for just a few minutes, I just, I just got a few things I wanted to, to share with you. Now there there are people who are intentionally predators. But I I, I think, and they're looking for vulnerable people, but but likely the majority of us, we're not dealing with, with that. I don't think that most of us are dealing with predatory manipulators that just want to control our lives and, you know, and they're nasty and they don't care about us. I think it's actually the opposite. Most of us, when we deal with this, is people that love us. And they love us a lot. And, and I think this is what's going on with Peter. He didn't want to hurt Jesus. In fact, he didn't want to see Jesus hurt. He deeply loved Jesus, but he did not want Jesus to do what he came to do. He wanted Jesus to do what he wanted him to do. He said, Lord, heaven forbid. That's not going to happen. We're not going to let that happen. No, 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 no. You, you, don't talk about that. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. You're not going to do this. We're, we'll make sure that that doesn't happen. And How can we know 
that we're being manipulated. Here's, here's a few telltale signs. Just a couple of practical things. If you can't ever seem to say no to a certain person. Is there anybody in your life that you think, man, I just can't say no to them? You know, whenever they ask something, I, ne- I don't really want to do what they're asking me, but I just, I just can't ever seem to say no. You Almost like you feel like you're being controlled, like they're, they're pulling the strings. Or do you always feel guilty? You know, and, and that's kind of connected to the, I can never say no. But, but you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, never, I'm never a good spouse. I'm never a good friend. You know, I, I, maybe, oh, I grew up in a divorced home, and so mom and dad were kind of fighting for my heart, and it made me feel bad. I felt like, oh, if, if I do this with dad, then mom's mad. Or if I, or if I do this with mom, then he's mad. You know, just, I just feel so guilty. just feel so bad. Or if you always feel ultimately responsible. Somebody, maybe somebody's life is falling apart. You're watching it unravel, and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is so terrible. And you just feel like, well, maybe I should have done more. I, if I could have done more, maybe if I'd have spent more time with them, or if, if I wouldn't have said no that one time, and even though I could, oh, then this probably wouldn't have happened. That's probably a pretty good sign. Or if you compromise your values to please other people. That's a biggie. I cannot tell you how many stories I've heard from, from young people. You know, people that grew up in the church. See, I remember when I was a youth pastor years ago, I'd have these kids, you know. and We'd, we'd go on youth trips and we'd talk about, you know, purity and, and all those important things. And, and they would say, man, I am going I, I to honor God with my body. I'm going to honor God in my relationships. I'm, I'm going to stay a virgin until I get married. Like that's the, I know that's what God wants for me and that's what I intend to do. And then they start dating and the heat cranks up just a little bit and before you know it, somebody says, well, if you really love me, then it'd be okay if we did this. And all of a sudden, we're compromising on our values. And maybe you've recognized when you're dealing with somebody at work or at school or even a family member that's doing this to you. What do you do? Because identifying it may not be that difficult. You know, as I'm talking, maybe some of you, I see some of you nodding like, oh, man. You can probably think of, well, this person makes me feel like that or that person does that. And if you can't think of anybody, it might be you. <laughs> but we can, we can identify it. But then what do we do? Because that's the hard part. And if you're anything like me, I, I tell you, I, I am a, what do they say in recovery? They say, hey, my name is Brandon, and I am a recovering people pleaser. I mean, it is so hard for me. I, I don't want to be a bad guy, and I don't think any of us want to be a bad person or be the heavy or be the, oh, man, he just kind of dropped a you know, brick right in the middle of all this. What, what do we do? It's hard to know what to do next. Here's some words. I just would love for you to write this down, memorize this, practice saying it. This is not going to work on me. Those are, those are some, those are almost like, Magic words, <laughs> where you can say to a person, hey, listen, I know what you're doing. I, I, know, I know what's happening here, and this is not going to work on me. I'm not going to let this happen. You, you've got to understand, I know in the past, in the past you may have been able to control me, and it's, ah, it's probably my fault because I let that happen, but you've got to know that from this point forward, 
this is not going to work on me anymore. I may have been a doormat. I've let you push me much further than I wanted. But now I know what God wants me to do. And I know who I am in Christ. And so I'm going to be, I'm going to be led by him. I'm going to let him call the shots in my life. And you're going to see Jesus do this with Peter. Peter said, Lord, that's never going to happen. You say you're going to suffer. You say you're going to die. No, 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 no. You know, pull you aside. No, no, that's not going to happen. And, and the next verse, this is pretty serious. Jesus, in verse 23, Jesus turned to Peter. And he said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. It's a strong words. I mean, that's like, how do you respond to that? I mean, Jesus just called him the devil, you know. That's, that's kind of serious. So when someone is trying to, to control you, what you do is you look at them. And you say, this is not going to work on me. And then you call them Satan. <laughs> you really shouldn't do that. That'd be a bad idea. Some of you live will get throat punched on the car ride home today. Or I'll get throat punched because you said that. You know, don't, don't, don't say, oh, the preacher told me. No, no, no. But what, what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's recognizing what the devil is doing and what he's using Peter to do. He said, you're, you're trying to cause me to stumble. You're trying to knock me off mission. This is too important. I know who I am. I know what I came here to do. And you've got to get behind me. And I'll tell you, I've had my fair share of people trying to do this to me over the years. Uh, some stories I, I would only share with you if we're having coffee and it's just you and me. And I'm going to swear you to secrecy. Uh, but, uh, but one that I'm willing to share with you today. <laughs> this is, and this was just kind of funny. I had an older guy at a church this years ago, years and years ago. I had this old guy that came to church, and he, he had attended the church that I was serving a long time ago, but he had since moved away and wasn't, wasn't involved in the church at all. But one Sunday, we were having like a homecoming or whatever, he showed up. And we'd, we'd made a lot of changes there, and it was, it was an exciting time. He came in, and he introduced himself to me, and, and uh, I said, oh, you know, it's nice to meet you. And he said, hey, I noticed your bulletin. And we we'd had a graphic designer that did some great work and helped us design a really nice bulletin. It was easy to read and all that sort of stuff. It looked really nice and had our church logo and all those sort of things on it. It looked great. And, uh, and he said, well, I, I noticed your bulletin. He says, I'd like you to change something on that. I said, oh, okay, okay. What, what, what do you mean? He said, well, I think on the front of the bulletin, get, get that, that logo off there. And put a picture of the old church building. It was built in like, you know, when Columbus landed. You know, I don't know, long, whatever. Put, I, we got an old picture of that. And I, I would love if you'd put the picture of that old church building right on the front of the bulletin. And I said, oh, okay, okay. Well, I, sure, I, I, appreciate your, I appreciate your, you know, thoughts and that. I said, we, we, we may do that, but, but we probably won't. And he said, well, how about this? This is, if, I, if I'm lying, I'm dying. This is a true story. He whipped out his checkbook. And he said, oh, uh, preface, Megan and I, we are broke. We got no, zero money, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. He said, how about this? What's your name, Brandon Hatfield? And he wrote me a check for $1,000. And he said, how about now? And I just remember in that moment, like, thinking, because, see, 
I got a little bit of an attitude. <laughs> and I remember thinking, Brandon Hatfield cannot be bought unless you put two more zeros on there. And then in that case, I'll do anything you want. <laughs> but I handed him the check back. I said, hey, listen, I, I appreciate it, but that's not going to happen. It's not going to work on me. And, and what I, I tell you that, the, the point is, that was just a dumb little thing. I mean, I, I've heard stories of way worse, way worse. But, but when other people try to persuade us, you know, what I'm trying to get across is, I know that those of you right now, that you, you are allowing someone to exert their will on your life. You're like a puppet, and they're just pulling all the strings. And their will, what, they're, what they want, is probably not, you know probably definitely not consistent with God's will. It's not what God wants for your life. And this is incredibly dangerous for you. And it's incredibly dangerous for all involved. You think about this. You are allowing someone to have control over you like that. That that is idolatry. You are committing the sin of idolatry when you let someone do that to you. Because you, you think about what that is. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. I call the shots. I'm the Lord God. And if someone has that kind of authority in your life, and you're doing the will of that person, you're not doing the will of God. And you can never become all that God wants you to become if you are just a people pleaser. You think about that. Scripture says, Scripture tells us that. It says, I cannot please both God and people. If I try to do that, then I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. You've got to recognize it, and you've got to show them, listen, this is not going to work on me anymore. And the third thing you have to do, what I see in this scripture, if you're looking at the character of Jesus now, how he interacts. I mean, you see a hard pushback there. Get behind me. You're a stumbling block right now, Peter. The third thing we have to do is redefine the relationship. And Jesus did this with Peter. He did this exact thing. When, when he tried to control Jesus' mind, he said, you got to get behind me. This is not going to work, Peter. You know, I know what I came here to do, and you're trying to, you're trying to cause me to stumble here right at the finish line. And it's not going to happen, so you're going to have to step out of the way. And then Jesus allowed Peter to face consequences. I mean, Peter, you think about how desperate and how lost he must have felt after the crucifixion, not wondering what is going on, and then he denies that he even knew Jesus three times. You remember that story? He talks about he denied him, denied him, denied him, how hopeless he had to have felt. But this is what happens after that, all when Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And it says in John 21, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. And then Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. It said that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. What is he doing? He's redefining the relationship there. He's restoring him. He's asking good questions. And at first, Peter wanted to be in control of Jesus' ministry. 
He wanted to say, this is what you're going to do. You want to be in control of Jesus' destiny. But Jesus said, you can't do that. You don't get to call the shots. If you want to follow me, then I'll call the shots. And, and you surrender your life and your will to me. And, G, and Peter did that. You've you got to redefine that relationship. So, so here's, here's what, as I was thinking about this concept, okay. I have recently learned a new golf swing. And I, I've been playing golf since I was a kid. My grandpa took me when I was, uh, oh, probably 10 years old and kind of taught me how to play. And he, he was an avid golfer, and he watched golf a lot on TV. And so he, he told me how to stand and, you know, how to kind of bend your knees, and he'd tell you how to get a grip. You kind of, you know, wrap your pinky over your pointer finger and line your hands up like this, and you, know, you get a certain way, and, and, and you gotta, you're thinking of like a hundred different things as you try to hit this white ball, you know. And so you finally get up there, and, you know, without hitting John's guitar, you just swing through, and, you know. And so I've had this golf swing for 20 years, longer than that. And uh, my problem, if we've ever golfed together, you can vouch for this. I've got a wicked slice and it just doesn't, I just can't get the distance that I'd like to get. Sometimes I can't hit past the lady's tee. You know, it's just, it's just tough. But, but I, I always slice to the right, and, and I, just, I just can't get it to go the distance. That I, I watch other guys, and they're tr- hitting it straight right down the middle, and they really get, you know. And I've just wondered about that, and I've heard everybody tell, oh, do this, do that. And there's all these things in my mind. I just, it, just, it just won't cooperate. Well, recently, uh, I've got a friend... A lot of you have seen him, J.R. Horn, a member of our church, and one of our missionaries that we support. He's been taking some golf lessons, and he's got, uh, he's got a little issue with his swing, too. So he, he's got this guy that's been teaching him what's called a straight line swing. And it's different. It's a different grip. You, you, don't, you don't overlap your fingers, and you kind of hold the club just a little bit different. And the main, the main thing that you want to do is you want to keep this arm totally stiff and straight and you think about it as an extension of your arm it's just a straight line all the way down the club and so the whole point if you're sticking your club out further and it just it just feels really unnatural to me you you, you got to go like this and you keep it stiff and you don't get as much of a swing as you want but I tried this he showed me how to do it it straightened my swing right out and I'm getting I'm driving the ball further than I've ever driven it in my life it feels so weird and every time we go to the driving range, every single time I tee the ball up, I keep wanting to revert back to that old swing. I mean, it's over 20 years of doing the same thing. And it's just, it's just really, it just feels weird to me to do this other thing. But JR will be standing behind me. He's like, no, now, Brandon, you're, you're starting to do that again. Straighten your arm up. You know, get, get back in that stance. Now, hey, don't, don't do that. You're, 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 get, you're sliding back into the old way. And you know what happens when you do that. For some of you that are, that are dealing with manipulation right now, this, this probably all sounds good to you. And you think, yeah, man, I, w- I wish I could do that. Maybe I'll try that. And you'll leave here and maybe you will. Maybe you'll try it and you'll get a little bit of success. And you think, man, that, that works. But the problem is old habits die hard. And it's going to be so tempting for you to revert back to the old way of that, that old dance, you know, well, I just kind of let people tell me what to do. Well, I just can't, yeah, I just can't say no to that person. Well, I just, I, they, that lets me feel guilty. 
And, and you, you cannot be driven by what people think. You've got to be driven by what God thinks. You just can't really worry about what anybody else thinks. But I think it should grip our hearts as we ask the question, when God looks at me, when he looks at my behavior, when he looks at the way that I'm living my life, what does he think? Let that drive you. Don't worry about what people say on social media. Don't worry about what these people who really, they, they don't have any authority to speak into your life. What does God think? That's why I love Galatians 1.10. It says, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. As we close out today, those of you that are manipulators, <laughs> like I said earlier, nobody, nobody's beyond grace. Nobody's too far gone, and, and I'm not saying that you're a bad person. I'm not saying that. I, and if your mama does it or your boss does it or somebody else does it, I'm not saying that they're a bad person. What I am saying is that they're driven by fear. We are driven by fear. You place, if, if, you, if you do this, you place your faith in your ability to control things and control people. And in reality, that's the worst place you could put your faith into a person or into a thing or into a situation. You're driven by fear. When anything doesn't go the way that you want it to go, you panic. And you think, no, 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 I've got to get it. I've got to pull it back into alignment. And you panic because you're a control freak. And you cannot please God by doing that. You cannot please God by trying to control things. The only way, the Bible tells us how we please God. And the only way that you can please the Lord is by having faith. It's faith. It's trust. It's when we place our faith in God and God alone, when we give it up and we hand it over. We say, Lord, you're in control. You can be trusted. I know you've got me. I know that you've got this, and I know that you won't let me down. I believe that all of us want to be free today. I think we crave that, but the truth is there's a lot of things that hold us back. And maybe today you feel broken beyond repair or you just don't know what to do or where to go next. You are not too far from saving. It is not too late with the Lord's help and the Holy Spirit's guidance to turn it around and to get back on the right path. It's never too late. And so if you need to talk to somebody about that, we're going to have a Next Steps team that's out in the lobby. Those of you online... We've got a team right there. You just say, hey, I'd like to talk to somebody, and those people will be there. But as you leave today, I've got another question for you, and I hope you guys are enjoying these. So as you leave in the car with every, whoever you came with, or if you didn't come with anybody, well, then just call somebody and say, hey, I've got a question I want to ask. And my rule is don't let it become an argument. Let it be a discussion. I hope, it's a, I hope it just helps you learn a little bit more about each other. So we'll have some uh, folks out in the lobby that give you one of these as you leave. Let me pray, and if we'll stand together, we'll pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for just the people in our life. We thank you for the ones that add so much joy, and, and we just love the, the time that we get to spend. And Lord, even the ones that are difficult, we're thankful for the opportunity for for us to be an example and be an influence and help us, Lord, raise us up to, 
to be people who are salt and light, that we would be a little bit more like Jesus every day. And I thank you for who he is, and I'm thankful, thankful for who you've made us to be. And I just pray your highest blessings on these men and women here today, and it's in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.